Okay, this is episode two of Can't Teach Height. This is Kale. This is Dave. And we're uh, attempting this remote recording where uh, I have Dave on WhatsApp watching his face trying to get the verbal cues because today I'm going to teach you about what I think are some NBA records that you might not know all that much about. NBA records that I don't know much about. Yeah. Okay. For our very limited set of listeners out there, we are both avid basketball fans. And I think that Dave, it'll be tough to stump Dave on these, but I think I've done enough random research to possibly have a few tidbits of information for you. We, did we call the Schwab? Was he available for this show? The Schwab was not available, no. Zach, the best you could get was me. And Zach Lowe wasn't available, so I just figured that you you talk like him on podcasts, so I would just do you instead. Thank you. Yes, uh, nobody has mentioned that on Twitter yet, but hopefully episode two will be the start. Yeah. So to start, so I have four like broad areas, like four broad records that I want to go through. The first is an off-the-court record. Second is regular season. Third is playoffs. Fourth is finals. So the NBA playoffs start today, and that's why I wanted to do it before it starts. Off the court record, playoff record. There's a regular season record. Or sorry, a regular season record, a playoff record, and a finals record. Yeah. Wow, I'm I'm very intrigued. Yeah. I have have guesses. Do you want me to guess? Uh... No, I don't want you to guess. Okay. I'm going to tell you like three quick ones that I decided not to do just because I think you know too much about them already. So the first are like the Wilt Chamberlain scoring single game and single season scoring records. Just too obvious. Nothing so, in, nothing interesting to say there. So let me let me interrupt for a second. Is Are these records that you don't mm. think will ever be broken or just records that you don't think I know exist? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so these are records I, A, don't think you know exist or like don't have as full appreciation for them as you might otherwise. B, I don't think any of these will ever be broken. Um, so coming on the heels of Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double and the Warriors winning 73 games last year, or two of, which were two records that no one thought would ever be broken, I think I've got a few more that, that actually won't be broken. In the course of time. Got it. Okay, good clarification. Yeah, so... I'm intrigued. Wilt's scoring records, I'm not going to touch on this, but I don't think they're going to be broken, but I'm just going to move on from that because averaging 50 points a game in in, in the modern NBA just sounds impossible. Uh, Rashid Wallace, 41 technicals in a season. I don't think <laughs> will ever be broken. Because the NBA instituted the suspension rule now after the 16th technical foul because of him. And so I just don't think anyone would be able to get 41 technical fouls in a season. John Stockton, career assist record, is almost 16,000 assists in 19 seasons. Second place is Jason Kidd, who's 4,000 assists behind him, who's retired. And Chris Paul is the closest active player, and he's 7,500 assists behind him. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that one's going to get touched anytime soon, especially with point guards being, like, 
more scores than distributors at this point. 7,000 assists back. Yeah. Stockton had a lot, a lot of assists. Of assists. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is going to bring me to my first off-the-court record. And I'm going to ask you a question. What's your favorite movie with an NBA player in it? Blue Chips. Blue Chips? That's fair. Um, I, I think you're forgetting about one, and it's going to be the movie that I think has a record that will never be broken, and that is oh. Airplane. That is that is my favorite. That you're that's that's spot on. That is my favorite NBA player in a movie. So great I, cameo by Kareem. Yeah. Can we talk about that movie for a second? <laughs> I've still never seen it, but you can talk about it. You've never seen that movie. How have we been friends for all these years? I've never forced you to watch that movie. I think I forced my friend Justin to watch that movie multiple times. Yeah. I've forced every girl I've ever dated to watch that movie. No one's liked it. I'm the only person who likes it. So you're wrong about that. Did you know Airplane has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes? So what you're telling me is that the whole world is smart, including myself and my friends are idiots. Yep, that's what I'm saying. All these years I told you that you were a moron for liking that movie so much. And it turns out of every movie that any NBA player has like had anything more than like a five second cameo in, it's the highest critically acclaimed movie of them all. So your record is that no movie, including an NBA player, will ever crack 97% on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. Did you ever see Trainwreck? What's Train, wrong? Trainwreck had 85%. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that would be higher as well, but nope. Um, and he got game, 80%. And then after that, there's a pretty steep drop-off where like nothing else has very good ratings at all. They must have filed Kazam as some other category. Well, so that's the... Because uh, that's the, a fantastic movie. That's the corresponding uh, record holder on this one. Kazam, I don't think will ever... There will never be a, a movie with a, an NBA player that gets a worse rating than Kazam because Kazam it has the sterling mark of 6%. 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, it takes like skill and dedication to get that low of a rating. I don't think any NBA player would damage their brand enough to be in the same city as a 6% Rotten Tomato movie was being filmed. Yeah, I mean, that's a dangerous dangerous company to keep yourself in. 6%? I think I could make a movie that did better than 6%. Yeah, I mean, we could just film ourselves talking and it would probably be better than 6%. Maybe this net, the next iteration of the Can't Teach Hype podcast becomes... A documentary series, which we strive for 7% yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's achievable. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Um, the other aspect of this record that I also thought was really interesting, I dug in a little bit more. Airplane is also the most profitable movie featuring an NBA player in terms of uh, ticket receipts at like movie theaters. So... Airplane had a $3.5 million budget and it grossed $83 million. So it it was 
I don't even know how many like multiples that is, but that's like 80 million just flat in profit from ticket receipts. Um, what about he got he got game, which was he 20 got, years later. He got game. I mean, again, it's probably made money over time with like selling DVDs and stuff. But he got game only grossed 21.5 million on a 25 million dollar budget, so it actually lost money just looking at ticket receipts. The one piece of airplane that is was amazing at the time, I'm sure, though it predates me, but has has remained has in my mind made it stay relevant is that it's the core of so many current jokes so much of today's humor so many judd apatow movies just play off an airplane that's all they're doing so anyways yeah so this this record makes me happy and i hope it will never be broken yeah and i have the flip flip side of profitability actually is not kazam kazam only lost like a million dollars on a 20 million dollar budget so in like pure financial terms it wasn't as big of a flop but there was a movie i had never heard of called harvard man that had vince from entourage in a starring role the the or the actor that plays vince in entourage and and ray allen in it and this movie it was released in 2001 it cost 5.5 million dollars to make and it grossed $55,000 in the movie theater which is a negative 99% return <laughs> Harvard man. Harvard man. Now, where did Ray Allen go to college in He Got Game? Big uh, state? Big state, I think, because they had, you know, really nice girls there. No, 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 no. They should have gone to Tech U. Oh, Tech U. Yeah, dang it. Tech U. Best scene. You did all this research and best somehow scene in you movie. forgot the yeah. best scene <laughs> in movie history. Shit, I'm too focused on the numbers. <laughs> Okay, so that's the record. Or I guess it's a string of records, but I think best and worst movie from a critical, critically acclaimed perspective and from a financial profit perspective, I think those records, at least for now, are, are pretty safe. Well, you, you successfully stumped me there. Yes. Okay, next record. You're a big Iron Man guy, right? You like triathlons? That is the best intro I've ever heard. So go on. <laughs> so I don't, you've probably heard of this before. Maybe you haven't. The, the NBA Ironman. Do you know what that refers to? That's people playing 82 games in a season, right? Yeah, but. Or not sitting well, games out. It, it normally extends to just whoever has played the longest consecutive streak of games, like it, mm. across multiple seasons. Do you know do you know who the all-time record holder is for NBA Ironman? So, I remember in the last handful of years Westbrook got some acclaim for not sitting out games in a number of consecutive seasons. But that doesn't seem long enough. So, I'm going to say someone that's considerably older I'm going to go with, let's see, I'm going to go with John Havlicek. 
Okay, that's a good guess. I actually don't know what his what his record is or what his uh, consecutive games are because he's not the record holder. The record holder is none other than AC Green. I, you know, I was going to say, I wish I had said something. I might edit this later to say that I said AC Green, because he was who I was thinking of second. I knew he is up there for AC, most games yeah. played all time. Robert Parrish is number one, but he, I know he's up there. So AC Green missed three games in his second season in the NBA, and then after that, he played in 1,192 consecutive games, which was basically 14 straight seasons without missing a game. So besides the obvious of the big controversy of players sitting out, why do you think that will never be broken? I think it won't be broken. I mean, obviously, like players resting nowadays is kind of a big issue in the in the press as we lead into the playoffs. Um, but that normally only applies to like star players. And AC Green was... He made one all-star team, but like for the most part, he was a role player. So, and if you look at like the guys that are, or, you know, have like typically been Ironman, it's like the, you know, a starter, but you know, like the fourth or fifth option. So for instance, like Tristan Thompson was the leader until he had to sit out two games in April because he sprained his thumb. And so now Corey Brewer is the new leader with consecutive games played. Corey Brewer having been traded from the Rockets to the Lakers. So I have no idea how he didn't have to like be forced to the bench as the Lakers tried to tank and lose a bunch of games. But I think players resting is one reason that it won't happen. Uh, the tanking stuff. So like if you're on a really good team, you're more likely to rest ahead of the playoffs. If you're on a really bad team, you're more likely to get benched as the team tries to lose games to get a better lottery pick. And so I think just the odds of basically to break his record, you'd have to play in every game for like 14 seasons or so. And I just think like that's basically impossible. I would have to agree with you. The The person who's in second place is a guy I'd never heard of named Randy Smith who played in the 70s. Have you heard of Randy Smith before? Yeah, Randy Smith played for the Clippers. Yeah. Randy Smith is in second place, and he's 286 games behind AC Green in terms of consecutive games. Um, another funny one was Andre Miller played 600, like he was mm. about half. He was like halfway there in terms of consecutive games, and he had to miss a game for taking a cheap shot at Blake Griffin. He got suspended, and that caused him to mm. to break his record. But yeah, so like, I just think there's no way. That's so many games. I can't believe that he was that durable. That's like just wild. That's a lot of games. I mean, so two records that I thought you were, if you had let me guess, for regular season records. One, I thought you were going to say minutes per game because guys like Wilt back in the day used to play, I don't know, 45 minutes a game, right? And with current kind of minute restrictions and all of that and, and the stress on rest and health, I think there's no chance in hell that that ever gets broken and the other and i don't know who actually the all-time leader in that is and the other that i thought you were you might say was rebounds per game so i looked this up before we before we started recording do you know who the all-time rebounds per game single season record holder is 
No, I know Wilt averaged like 27 per game one year, but I'm guessing that someone did more because back then, like the big guy used to just get literally every rebound. So who is it? So it's Wilt with 27.2. You're spot on. Um, He actually holds the, the top, I think, three seasons, three or four seasons. And then Bill Russell comes in. Uh, do you want to guess what place? So there's Wilt in the top three, and then there's Russell. And then in some combination, it keeps going back and forth between Wilt and Bill Russell. Do you want to guess what place the next highest person season is in? Uh, 20th. Well, you ruined my story, but 13th. Dennis oh. Rodman has the 13th best <laughs> all-time season in rebounding, but it's nowhere close to 27.2. Yeah, I mean, I feel like nowadays the leading rebounder in the league is normally like low teens, right? They're generally like 13 or something like that. Yeah, Andre Drummond and DeAndre have pushed that back up to 15 in the last couple seasons. But um, we're talking, you know, even if even if they got up to 18, right, they're nowhere close. Maybe someone should tell uh, Russell Westbrook to try to break that record next season. I think it's impossible. And I think... I think the couple of reasons you you hit on one major one, which is big guys got all the rebounds, and I think that was because there were no Kristaps Porzingis's, there were no Ryan Andersons that were stepping out and shooting. Big guys just played down low, and so the opposing big guy blocked out one person maybe and got a rebound. And then the second piece is that they didn't have to. There was no defensive three second, so the notion of camping out in the lane was not a problem. Whereas now, big guys are roaming all over the place and there are more rebounds to be had by guards, which I know we're not talking about this, but is one of the reasons why I think Westbrook's triple-double versus Robertson's triple-double versus Oscar Robertson's triple-double, I mean, there are more rebounds to be had for guards now, whereas Oscar Robertson had to go get down there where Guards weren't typically doing that. So I'm not trying to say one is more impressive than the other. In fact, I think in many ways Westbrook's triple-double is, is even more impressive given a lot of trends, but that was one that I that I found interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so that's the regular season. I, didn't, I agree that the rebounding one will never be broken. I just thought that talking about AC Green sounded way more fun. I like AC Green. <laughs> Okay, now we're on to the playoffs. Um, what do you think is the biggest NBA playoff series upset in history? Are you really going to make me say the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead? <laughs> do you think that's the biggest one? Is that really what you wanted me to say right now? <laughs> okay, so... So, in any series, I think there was a team that came back from being down three three love but it wasn't in the finals yeah that's so that's looking at it in a different way than i was thinking about it so i the record that i looked at is if you at the beginning of the series you looked at just the regular season record of both teams in the series in terms of like how big of an upset it would be if they managed to win like enough games out of five back in the day or seven now to win the series. Like, you know, if a 500 team is beating like whoever, who, you know, one seed, 
that's kind of mm-hmm. how I characterize as like the biggest upset. Okay, so let me. I, I so, get the question. So let yeah. me let me think about it. Amend your answer. So the couple it has to be an eight versus a one. The couple options are the Nuggets beating the Sonics, which I think if that were the answer, you wouldn't have asked the question because it would have been too close <laughs> to home. It could have been the Warriors beating the Mavericks in 2007, the We Believe season. But I think that the Warriors record actually wasn't so terrible, even though the Mavs, I want to say, won 67 games that year. And then there was a year when the 76ers beat somebody who had had their best player go down to injury. And I don't remember who it was or what happened, but it was maybe the Bulls, maybe Derrick Rose got hurt and the Sixers beat them, but it wasn't so much of an upset because of that. I'm going to go with that, even though I don't remember the full picture. I'm going to say 76ers in 2011. Yeah, so that the right one is the We Believe Warriors. But this is actually, this has been like very interesting to look into because I just like didn't remember that many playoff upsets happening. Um, I remember the We Believe really well. The Derrick Rose one, I didn't remember at all. He blew out his knee, I think, either during game one or game two. And they were the, the Bulls were the one seed. But that was also during the lockout shortened season. So they hadn't played 82 games. Um, and as a result, the like win differential wasn't as significant. But yeah, the the eighth-seeded Golden State Warriors were 42-40 and 40 when they upset the Dallas Mavericks, who had won 67 games that year. And so the win differential was 25 games in regular season record, which I don't think will ever be broken. I think oh, like what it would take to break that is... A one seed having like a close to historically good season, losing in a seven game series. I think the We Believe Warriors will go down in history as the greatest upset team in the NBA. And if I'm not mistaken, they won that series in six. They won the series in six games, yeah. And then Have any lo- other they eight lost. one upsets? They lost to the Jazz. Uh, which no one remembers, by the way. Everyone replays that dunk on Kirilenko that Baron Davis had. No one remembers the fact that that was maybe the only game they won in that series. I think they lost in five or maybe six. Yeah. So, yeah, they they lost in five games. Um, and, like, Utah had fewer wins than Dallas had. So it obviously, like, just looking at it purely from a win differential, it wouldn't have been as big an upset even had they won. But sure. the interesting thing looking back at the series and another big part of why I don't think it'll happen again is the Warriors basically won because they hit a ton of threes. So they hit 62 threes in, in the series versus 42 for the Mavs. So they hit 20 more three-pointers over the course of six games. And that was kind of back when the concept of a team just like relying super heavily on three-point shooting wasn't in vogue and so like you kind of had this weird dichotomy in the playoff where like the low seeds like the sixes and sevens and eights tended to be like the teams like the warriors who kind of like run run and gunned and then the top couple seeds were still a little more traditional in terms of like their style of play and now that that's been flipped i think it would just be so much harder 
for I mean it's not inconceivable that styles will change as like time goes on but in terms of the structure of today's NBA like the top teams take so many threes and have such good shooting that I don't think that would be like the reason that an upset happened I agree with you unless a big injury happens yeah Big injuries, like, really the only way. If last year, I don't know how many wins the Rockets team had last year that was the eight seed, but if they had essentially waltzed into playing the 73-win Warriors when Curry got hurt in game one and had knocked them off, you know, all of a sudden we're talking about probably the biggest upset of all time. Yeah, that would have been the biggest one because the Rockets had 41 wins, and so that was a... 32 game win differential in terms of regular season record but it, so the it, warriors play game one tomorrow against the blazers i don't have it in front of me i don't know how many games the blazers won but it's not too far I, off i do 41 <laughs> it's exactly or no they have 41 wins yeah so if they were to beat the warriors in this series then that would be the new record Well, we both know what Damian Lillard predicted, right? Blazers yeah. and six. Blazers and six. But I want to talk through a few of these other upsets because they're pretty interesting. And I also was like looking at the stats of like different players and stuff to see the reason why the the upsets happened. So I want to start with my beloved Sonics losing to the Nuggets. They're actually the second biggest upset ever. And that was in five games in a five-game series. And the, the win differential there was 21 games. So again, the record was uh, 25. So it's close, but not quite there. Um, apparently, as Bleacher Report reported this, this uh, week, apparently Gary Payton and Ricky Pierce threatened to kill each other during halftime of Game 2. And the way that the series went is the Sonics won Games 1 and 2 and then lost the next three games. <laughs> so... That might have played a role. The the Nuggets the Nuggets sucked. Their best player was Lafonso Ellis, and he was at, he scored sixteen a game. So they didn't. It wasn't even like they had some like incredible score. They did have Dikembe, who put up thirteen points, twelve boards, and six blocks a game in the series. I can't imagine someone averaging six blocks a game in a series today. But uh, just because there's not that many shots taken inside. Um, but I think that played a role, and yeah, the Sonics just shot horribly and lost, and it was, and then the Nuggets lost in the next round as well. Um, didn't didn't Robert Pack have just a phenomenal series? He might have. I didn't note it. He might have been like, I think he had a really good dunk, but I don't remember him having like a phenomenal series. It was Lafonso Ellis and like Brian Williams were I think the top two leading scorers. Right. Okay, so and then the the next ones aren't that interesting, although number four, the Sonics, seventh-seeded Sonics, upset the second-seeded Mavs in 1987. So the Sonics are in there in a good way. But then I wanted to get to the uh, kind of a variation on this, um, the biggest finals upset ever. Again, not counting like a comeback. So Cleveland actually um, 
Cleveland actually wins it even ignoring the 3-1 comeback. The because the Warriors had the best regular season record ever and the the Cavs only had 57 wins. The win differential was 16 games and that in the finals that's the biggest win differential of any two teams. So that record that you mentioned at the beginning is still uh it still kind of counts. Unfortunately, the Warriors blowing a 3-1 lead will never stop counting. <laughs> yeah. So and then the second biggest finals episode ever, and this one I didn't, I mean, I knew that they had won this, but I was, I didn't know the seeding and the records as well. Rockets? The Rockets, when they won in 1995, they were the sixth seed in the West. They have, they had 47 wins, and then they beat the Orlando Magic, who had Shaq and Penny, and the, they were, the Magic were the first seed out of the East, and so the win differential was 10 games. But the Rockets swept them. They swept them in four games. <laughs> like... Were... So the the funny story about that season for the Rockets, as I remember it, was they had won the championship the year before. They had beaten a young Shaq um, and the Magic, and they had started out the following season very slowly. Vernon Maxwell was their two guard, if you remember. And then Vernon Maxwell had some sort of issue with Rudy Tomjanovich, and they traded him midseason for Clyde Drexler. Yep. And... Elijah Wan and Drexler had played together in college, but everyone else... Oh, and I think they got rid of Otis Thorpe in the process, too. And everyone yeah. else was like, Otis Thorpe was my guy. Like, Vernon Maxwell helped us get a championship. Who is this superstar that's coming in? Like, we're not going to give him the ball or whatever. And so it took a while for them to get over the hump, which is why they ended up with the sixth seed. But once they finally meshed, they, they were off to the races, at least is my memory. Yeah, so... The other interesting thing about their playoff run is they upset they upset the other team in every round of the playoffs. So they beat the third seed Utah in the first round. They beat the second seed Phoenix in the second round. And then they beat the first seed San Antonio Spurs in the third round when Olajuwon just eviscerated David Robinson and basically ruined his career. <laughs> <laughs> ruined his career is probably a little strong. 50 greatest player of all time, Hall of Famer, two-time champion, but yeah. Hakeem, Hakeem threw up a uh, 33 points, 10 boards, five assists, three blocks per game through the whole playoffs that year. So that sounds like it was fun to defend. Those were stats through the playoffs or that was a single game? That was in the playoffs. His averages for the playoffs. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay, we're on to the last one. NBA Finals MVPs. So I want to talk a little bit about the worst statistical NBA Finals MVPs in history because there are some interesting records here that I don't think any future NBA Finals MVP can ever top. Um, so first of all, there were no MV, uh, finals MVPs before 1969. So like all of the Russell uh, Celtics teams, the award just didn't exist because the award is actually called the Bill Russell Finals MVP Award. It's named after Bill Russell. So the first winner of the award is Jerry West, who won it when the Lakers lost in the finals in 1969. He's the only player to 
from a losing team, as you probably know, whoever won the award, and it was the first year it was given out. So I actually don't think that's a record that that that's like untouchable because I think LeBron probably should have won the the Finals MVP two years ago when the Warriors won. And if the Warriors hadn't blew a three one lead last year, LeBron should have won the MVP as well. <laughs> yeah, so I actually think that'll happen at some point or another. Um, but it's just kind of an interesting uh, tidbit. So. NBA Finals MVP record number two is for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He won Finals MVPs 14 seasons apart. And I don't think wow. that record will ever be broken. He won it with the Bucks in 1971 and then with the Lakers in 85. And he was 38 years old when he won his second one. <laughs> That's pretty astounding. Yeah. So I looked into this a bit. So LeBron won his first one in 2012 with the Heat. So in order to break, to tie the record, he would have to win another Finals MVP in 2026 in the NBA Finals when he'd be 41 years old. So that seems like a long shot. Well, um, Kareem was t- 24 when he won his first. Yeah, something like yeah. In that ballpark. So LeBron didn't win his first title until he was, what, 28, 29? Probably, yeah. So so Kawhi is your best bet. Kawhi won his when he was 22 years old. I think he was like the second or third youngest ever to win the award. Um, so in theory, he could win one when he was like 36 if the Spurs keep being good. Uh, and the funny thing is... How do you measure age? How do you measure age for a robot? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's like software updates that like timestamp it and everything smart so but the funny thing about Kawhi winning when he was 22 years old is that if tim duncan had won the mvp that year instead of Kawhi, that would have been 15 years after his first finals mvp in 1999 so he would have broken the record if Kawhi didn't play out of his mind in the in the finals against the heat that year Hmm. and uh yeah Duncan put up 15 points, 10 boards in the series, so he wasn't like that far off, but he also wasn't the finals MVP. Yep. All right, so record number two, lowest points per game average in both the finals and also from like the regular season of that year, Wes Unseld, untouchable. There's just no way that a finals MVP will ever like average fewer points than Wes Unseld. <laughs> he averaged How many? okay in seven finals games in 1977-78 against the Sonics which sucks uh, he averaged nine points a game and he won finals MVP Iguodala couldn't have averaged that many more than nine <laughs> so Iguodala we'll probably averaged 12 <laughs> okay alright go on give me time <laughs> okay so he averaged nine in the series and he averaged 7.6 points per game in the regular season. Wes Unseld in, in that season. So he upped his scoring average by, you know, 15% or so to get to nine in the finals. But <laughs> he won the finals MVP. Um, while Elvin Hayes was on his team putting up 21 and 12. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Did he guard 
some incredible center or something? Yeah, I tried to look into it, and it sounds like he was just like their defensive anchor and like their captain and leader, and he got he got the award like for his presence more than anything. Like he had won the MVP, I think, in the early '70s, so he was on the tail end of his career. He only played, I think, three more seasons after this. Uh, but yeah, they beat the Sonics in uh, seven games. Five of the seven games decided by six points or less. So he might have hit some crucial shots. It was tough for me to tell. Um, but yeah, Elvin Hayes, if I were Elvin Hayes, I would feel like I got completely robbed of that finals MVP. Huh. So I don't think any finals MVP will ever average fewer than nine points a game in the finals or 7.6 points per game in the regular season. Now, Iguodala... I'm with you on both of those. Iguodala came close. He was real close. He averaged 7.8 points per game in the regular <laughs> season, the year that the Warriors won. And uh, I want to just revisit Andre Iguodala winning finals MVP because it's ridiculous in so many ways. I know we played really well in that series, and but there's, it's just funny. So 2014-2015, Iggy averages 7.8 points per game. He doesn't start. Like he comes off the bench all season as he does now. The Warriors win in six games. Iguodala catches fire in the finals, but he also didn't start until uh, he only started the last three games of the series. He's the only finals MVP who didn't start every game in the finals. So that's number one. Hmm. He also has the worst finals free throw percentage of any finals MVP winner. He shot 35.7% from the free throw line in the finals. That's gross. I think that's a, another untouchable record because even Shaq couldn't beat it. If Shaq can't beat your free, your like poor free throw shooting record, then I don't think any finals MVP is going to beat it. Wow. Yeah. He also, so he 35% scored... 35% from the line. Yeah. Iggy scored 25 points in the, the clinching game six of the finals, which is like a, a big part of why he won the award is because he, he killed it in the final game. But he also became the first player in NBA Finals history to score 25 points in the championship clinching game, so the final game of their season, without recording a single 25-point game the entire season and playoffs up to that point. <laughs> That's great. I remember that game vividly. I mean, he was incredible. He was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, he played out of his mind, but... I don't think he was fully deserving. It, um, LeBron came in second place in the voting. So the voting was seven for Iggy, four for LeBron, zero for Steph Curry. LeBron was on the losing team, the Cavs, and he was averaging in the series, he averaged 36 points, 13 boards, and nine assists. So he almost averaged a triple-double in the series. But that's decent. And he pro probably should have won because he was clearly the most valuable player on the floor, like Kyrie Irving got hurt, and the only reason they got to six games was because LeBron was just a, a total animal. Um, but Steph got criticized a lot, and I, so I looked back into it. That was his first regular season MVP year. He got zero votes for the finals MVP, but he still put up 26 points, five boards, and six assists. So it's not like he was just, like, sucking. He almost averaged 30 points in the series. 
Well, if I remember correctly, he had one spectacular game, which I think was game five. Probably put up over 40 or, or close. But he had some pretty poor shooting games early in the series, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he did. I mean, he struggled, but he still he still got his, and they still won. And he was probably arguably the only reason that they were in the finals in the first place. So, sure, yeah. <clears throat> but anyways, going back to these like points per game averages, because I really dug into this because I'm a loser. Um, finals MVPs tended to be the best players on their team. It's like MJ, Magic, Bird, Kareem, like Hakeem Olajuwon, whoever. You know, they put up crazy numbers in the finals because they'd been putting up crazy numbers all year long, with the exception of Wes Unseld and Andre Iguodala. But I wanted to know, you know, like who else won finals MVP who like didn't score that, like wasn't a leading scorer for their team during the regular season. I found a, two, a couple other interesting examples that I just wanted to throw out there. So Willis Reed was the third worst. He averaged 11 points a game. So still like four points higher than Wes and Iggy, but he averaged 11 points a game uh, the year that, um, in 1973, which was not the year when he came out during game seven when he was injured. That was in 1970. Um, but so he was the third worst. And then Kawhi was the fourth worst uh, when he won in 2014, which we already talked about. He only averaged 13 points a game. And then in the finals, he upped it to 18 and also guarded LeBron and, you know, played really well. And so he won it. And that was kind of like when people realized that Kawhi was going to be really good because he'd been like a decent young player up to that point through the regular season. Hmm. And then Wilt was the only other finals MVP who didn't average at least 15 a game in the season. And he was like just basically a rounding error below 15. And that was towards the end of his career when he won with the Lakers. So, yeah. And then I, I dug into it just because I, even though the award didn't exist until 1969, I still didn't want to, to exclude Bill Russell from any finals MVP discussion. So I went back and looked at his stats and I didn't actually realize that Russell put up some points. I, I mean, I know the game moved a lot faster back then and like the scoring totals tended to be pretty high. Um, but Bill Russell's lowest average scoring average was 9.9 in any season. And like for most of his prime, he was averaging basically like 15 to 20 points a game and like 18 to 22 rebounds a game, which is, yeah, he was okay. Yeah. He was decent. Um, but yeah, I was, I, uh, I think his worst finals stats was in 1969, which was like the the year that Jerry West won. So I guess in theory he could have won a single Bill Russell Finals MVP. But the year that Jerry West won the first one, the Celtics beat the Lakers in seven, and Russell, that was his, I think, final year in the league, and he averaged nine points and just a, a 21 rebounds and five assists. More rebounds than I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you had that many rebounds in your career. So that's what I mean. Altogether. Yeah. So, anyways, those are my records, and it was kind of statistics heavy, but I I really dug in because I thought they were interesting. We've got you know 
both good and shitty NBA movies. We've got an Iron Man and AC Green, who I don't think anyone will ever touch. We've got the We Believe Warriors is the biggest upset in regular season history, and the 3-1 Warriors, the biggest upset in finals history. And then we've got Wes Unseld and Andre Iguodala as, as kind of untouchable, you know, finals MVPs for the wrong reasons. I think that was great. I think you, look, I mean, know your audience, right? You allowed me to talk about how awesome Airplane is, and you baited me into saying the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead <laughs> at least six times. So those have to be two wins on your part. Yeah, so that's all I had with a final question for you. What's your prediction for the NBA playoffs this season? Warriors over Celtics in six games. So in what round do you think the Cavs will lose? Against the the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Wow, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, I think Jay Crowder has a phenomenal defensive series against LeBron. I think their ball movement just shreds up the Cavs. Uh, I'm going with the Celtics. Great. Well, I think the Warriors will also win, but I don't think anyone's going to beat the Cavs until the Warriors do. At least I hope not, because I really, really want to see that rematch. I would like to see that rematch as well. What? And I also think the Celtics provide a pretty difficult matchup for the Warriors, so selfishly, I'm not super eager to see that, but it's my prediction anyways. Great. Did you learn something new today? I learned a lot of new things today. <laughs> I was going to had big plans for the day, but I'm just going to watch all movies including NBA players for the rest of the day. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm looking forward to see seeing what you teach me next week. And uh I guess I'll I'll keep uh this all these statistics in my back pocket for random bar conversations. <laughs> you never know when it's going to come in handy. <laughs> all right, man. Have a good one. Great stuff. Great.